0: Amen and amen. You may be seated, and while you're being seated, say hello to the person next to you. And children, you are now dismissed for class. If you have the pew pad near you, you can pass that as well. Hello. Thank you, Nathaniel. Well, it is uh, so good to be with you this morning. We are continuing in our series on the life of Moses. If you remember, we are doing a macro series called Story, and the lessons that we can learn from the lives of those in the Old Testament. And we walked through the life of Joseph really quickly, and we are now walking through the life of Moses. Uh, And I wish we could spend so much more time in the lives of these people. But if we did that, this would be like a three-year-long series, and I'd probably get emails saying, move on, all right? (laughs) But uh, we are just so excited to continue in the life of Moses. Today, we're going to be talking about faith-filled leadership. And we're going to be looking at different portions of the the experience of the Red Sea, as many of you know of Scripture, just I'm going to speak a little bit louder because I think my microphone went out, but I want to share with you guys really quickly a quick clip about faith, because we're going to be talking about the issue of faith, faith-filled leadership from the life of Moses, and when I think of faith, uh, I think in terms of movies sometimes, and so I want to share this quick clip with you about faith. I know some of you guys want to watch the rest of the movie because that's classic Indiana Jones. But I love that moment where he has this question of faith. This does not look like it's something that would be safe at all. But there is a, a, a step of faith that he has to take. If you know the last crusade, he's going after the Holy Grail, the cup of Christ, because his dad is on death's door and he needs that anointed cup with water to spill over his father to bring the healing that he needs. I mean, it's a very interesting, intriguing story. But that step of faith is something that you and I often have to do in our walk with Christ. Our walk with Christ is not just faith in the fact that Christ died for us. It is now a constant living, following Christ, believing Christ, and walking in our faith of Him every day, every moment. Because I think often we think of faith, well, I have belief in Jesus. I have faith that He died for me. Well, that's the beginning. That's not the end. That's the very beginning. But faith can be difficult. Because all of a sudden you see this pit that you have to step over. And just like Indiana Jones, we have those moments of, will it really be safe? Will it really turn out the way it's supposed to turn out? We fear walking in faith because it is always risky to give up control. We don't like to give up control. It's not something that we enjoy. It's not something that is easy for us as humans to do. But when we step out in faith, we are giving God control and saying, I am trusting what you say in your word. I'm following by faith. And Moses wasn't always a great example of faith. There were moments of strength, and this is one of those moments as we come to the Red Sea. So I believe that as we look at this portion of Scripture, Moses is going to answer the question for us, how can we walk in faith-filled leadership? Now, it's not just leadership as in I'm going to bring a million people out of Egypt into salvation, into the promised land. Each and every one of us in some aspect of our lives, we're leaders, whether we're children or adults. There are aspects of our life where we are leaders and we all need the issues of learning about faith. And so this isn't just about leadership, but because we are extrapolating this truth from the life of Moses, who was leading in faith-filled leadership, that is why we're going to answer that specific question. But you can also look at it through the lens of just faith and realize that as believers we are all leaders. If you remember last week we left off with Moses in the moment of the burning bush as he was talking to the Lord. And he was making excuses. This is where he was a negative example of faith, where he was saying, God, I'm, I, just, I just can't do it. And he gave excuse after excuse, and God eliminated every excuse. And finally, we left it where he came to the place where he said, please just send someone else. I don't want to go. I don't want to do it. I can't speak. I'm not strong. And, and God got a little bit angry as his anger was kindled against him and said, well, I'll send Aaron with you. And that's kind of where we left off the narrative of Moses last week. And here we can, we're we going to pick up at the Red Sea where after this whole expanse of ten plagues had just happened. Where Moses was the main mouthpiece going to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. This is God's command to you, Pharaoh. Let my people go. And his heart was hardened over and over again. And the ten plagues that God brought about all of Egypt were very, very intentional. One of the things that we don't often read about when it comes to the ten plagues, because we always read through it in a narrative format, but each plague attacked a god or goddess of Egypt. There was the god or goddess of specific things. We talked about that last week a little bit. This god, the sun, uh, Ra, the sun god. And there was a god of the Nile. There was a god of farming. There was a god of locusts. Each single plague attacked one of their god or goddesses, where the Lord was saying, I am. If you remember, we talked about that last week. And so now Pharaoh has let them go after the firstborn child was killed and the Passover transpired. He said, go. And so the Israelites move forward. And here we see God directing and leading and guiding the people of Israel into a trap, which is interesting. Which brings us to the first aspect, the first key of following after the Lord in faith-filled leadership. And that is this. Faith-filled leaders follow the Lord even if it seems foolish. Faith-filled leaders follow the Lord even if it seems foolish. Let's look at Exodus chapter 13, verse 18, and then chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. The word of the Lord but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. And the people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Chapter 14, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of pi Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, They are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. And they did so. Now here, God is telling Moses, I want you to walk into a trap. You're walking this way, here's where you're going, but I want you to turn back and I want you to put yourself in the most horrific military strategic place. You're going to go where the sea is at your back and there are mountains to your left and to your right and the only thing, the only way out is forward, away from the sea, but that's exactly where Pharaoh and his army are coming. They know where you are. They've sent scouts. They know exactly your positioning. And they know the foolishness of your military strategic place. It is the valley of death, literally. Because they have the sea at their back and mountains on their left and right. But Moses doesn't argue with God. I'm sure he's thinking, What? I I was a, I was a military... Uh, genius when it was in Pharaoh's court for forty years, and and that doesn't sound like a really good military strategy. I'm sure he's thinking that in his mind. And even as Pharaoh, or as as Moses tells the people, "Hey, let's turn back. We're going over this way to this really valley that we could die in this really empty valley. But we're we're just going to go there." I'm sure that this sounded ludicrous to his people, but God said very specifically, "I will get glory over Pharaoh." There was a purpose, there was a reason, there was something that was going to happen, and Moses goes for it. Chuck Swindoll says Moses, you see, had walked with God long enough to know that even though the Lord's directions might seem foolish, he wasn't going to question them. After the 10 plagues, after what God had done through Moses, After what God had shown Moses already from the burning bush and how he transformed his staff and how he did all of these miraculous things in the court of Pharaoh, finally Moses comes to a place where he's not going to argue with God or make any excuses. He trusts God implicitly and says, okay, that's where we're going to go. We're going to go there. That sounds foolish. That sounds absolutely ludicrous, but Moses goes. And it says, and they did so. I think this also has a a double purpose. God explains the purpose of getting glory over Pharaoh and annihilating Pharaoh and making him look foolish once again. But I also believe that there was a purpose when it comes to Israel. He wanted Israel to see that they were not Up to this battle. Look at this very interesting portion of verse 18 that I think sometimes we gloss over. It says this, and the people of Israel went out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. They were equipped for battle. They didn't go out as as slaves. They had weaponry and I think that they had an anticipation of joining in battle. And now the military strategy is to be trapped. And they're like, well, how is that any, how is that smart? We were equipped for battle, we're ready to go. But this dead end street ended up giving them, uh, giving God the opportunity to show them how unable they really are. And I believe that life's dead end streets show us our own inadequacy. We might think that we can handle everything that life has to throw at us. We might think that we are equipped for battle and we're ready to go and we can handle it on our own. But I'm sure you have and I know I have come to dead end streets in our lives where we recognize I have nothing to offer. I cannot get myself out of this jam. God I need you. A phrase in the military often is that there are no atheists in foxholes because they come to a place where they realize if I die, I have no idea where I'm going. And so they cry out to God. Many people on their deathbed cry out to God because they realize they don't have a hope for the future. But here in this moment, God is purposely putting Israel into a spot where they have to rely on Him or die. Pharaoh's army was not some weak army. This was a conquering army who had taken land after land, who had murdered several nations to be where they were. And here they, a group of people who used to be slaves, who are equipped for battle, are now in the worst possible spot. The Lord was showing them that you need me. And I will gain glory over Pharaoh. The Lord was allowing a dead-end street to reveal their desperate need for Him. You know, if, if we would just realize this earlier in our life as, as believers, that we need God for everything, we might not have to get stuck in a dead-end street. We might not have to be in those places. But because we are so controlling, because we are so stubborn... Sometimes God allows dead-end streets in our lives to bring us to the end of ourself and recognize our own inadequacy. But God was also going to get glory over Pharaoh. And Chuck Swindoll stated it this way, If the Lord is to get the glory, he must do the fighting. We try to fight because we want the glory for ourselves as well. We might even push back at the dead end street and say, no, I will grit it out. I will grind my teeth and I will make this happen. And we want the glory. We want the control. But God said very specifically to Moses, I'm sending you here so that I will get the glory. Moses, you won't get the glory. Israel, you won't get the glory. I alone will get the glory. Another commentator Uh, An Old Testament uh, genius named D.K. Stewart says this, What matters is the effect on Pharaoh that God was creating by leading the people on a seemingly erratic course. Once again, Pharaoh was being duped into a situation of humiliation, enticed to act in a manner that he thought would be advantageous to himself in Egypt, but would in fact further demonstrate his own And Egypt's impotency in the face of the awesome power of the only true God. Listen, we might think that the world has all the power. We might walk around in fear of all the things that we see going on in the world and in our nation. The enemy would love nothing more than to derail your faith and my faith by instilling inside of us a fear, a fear of the end, a fear of this, a fear of that. What if that person does this? What if that person's in charge? Oh my goodness! And we become weak believers because we are so surrounded by fear. We integrate all of these voices into our mind and we forget the scriptures. We forget that God has all the power. All the pharaohs in the world, all the kings, all of the people who would try to come against God will always fail. So why are we afraid? Why do we walk in fear? Why do we walk around in the doubt that that God can and will demonstrate his power? Pharaoh is just an example of how all kings in the end will bow at the foot of Jesus because God is the only one who has the power. And the lies that we believe and listen to that would instill fear within us, those are from the enemy, not from the Lord. Push them back. And if you find yourself inundated with voices that bring fear, whether it's the news or it's a specific person or a Facebook group where you just have this fear welling up inside you when you watch it or listen to it or experience it. Turn it off. Just turn it off. Because God has the power. Don't allow the enemy to put fear in your life. That's the Holy Spirit and you need to take it home. Because I think we've been walking too fearful, listening to too many fear-mongering voices that create in us a stress that we don't have to have. Because we have the Spirit of God. We have God's presence with us. The second key is the key of trusting. Faith-filled leaders trust that the Lord will provide protection. Chapter 13, verses 21 through 22, and then chapter 14, verses 19 through 20. We see this, the word of the Lord, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light and that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness, and it lit up the night, without one coming near the other, all night. You see, just like us, when we see the craziness of the world around us, the people of Israel were terrified. They were afraid. They were crying out to Moses because they knew that they were in the worst possible position. They were looking and saying, What did you bring us out of here, out of Egypt, just to die in the wilderness when we could have just died in Egypt? And they're cursing Moses and God, and they're frustrated, and they're angry, and they're fearful. But they saw the pillar of fire and the pillar of cloud and it moved behind them. The presence of God was behind them to protect them. And they still did not trust that God was going to do something. I mean, imagine that you have a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night leading you, and you know it's the very finger of God that is directing you and guiding you. And you're watching this situation transpire, and this thing, this fire, uh, this cloud of fire, and this pillar of fire and cloud move behind you to bring a protection. And you still freak out and start yelling and going after Moses. They were not trusting God's protection. They were not believing that God was going to do something. They were not believing the promise that he had given to Moses that said, I will gain glory over Pharaoh. Come here for a very specific reason. Stuart states this, in contrast to the majority of Israelites, Moses had understood the meaning of God's earlier promise of protection and had not only understood, but believed it. Listen, the Lord's presence is all the protection we need that doesn't mean that things are not going to come against us it doesn't mean that life is going to be happy clappy easy simple rainbows and unicorns that's not what it means but it means that when we are walking in the presence of the lord When we are spending time with him, as the beloved disciple John laid his head upon the breast of Jesus to hear the heartbeat of Jesus, that depth of intimacy. When we have the presence of God, it is like a pillar of fire bringing protection to our souls. You may take our lives, Satan, but you can never take our salvation. You can never take the freedom that we have in Christ, ever. We are protected by the Lord and His presence in our lives. We need the presence of God. We need to seek the face of God. We need to stop seeking out the voices of all these other places and all these other things. We need to be with Him. We need to trust that he will bring the protection that we need. The Lord's presence is all that we need in life. Because we, when we are in the presence of a holy and awesome God, we and the world around us become tiny, infinitesimal things. Because that's exactly what they are. That's exactly what we are compared to him. The third key that we see from the life of Moses in faith-filled leadership is the key of confidence. Faith-filled leaders are confident and confessional. Exodus fourteen thirteen through 15 And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Moses is standing between an army that he knows is on its way to destroy the Israelites. And he's hanging out with a billion or maybe two million whiny people who are yelling at him. Imagine, you're trying to lead the Israelites to safety, that God has given you this task, and he's with you, and you know it. And you're like, I know we're going to be safe, but a million people at the same time are like, (laughs) Moses! I'd be freaking out. I'd be like, but then he says, don't be afraid. But I love what he says. This He says, all you have to do is be silent. I think there was two reasons for that, right? Because they were whining and complaining and he's like, I need to think! But he was also saying, stop your fussing. Stop your whining. God will do what he said he will do. He walked In confidence, Moses was secure in the promise that God had made to him that he will get glory over Pharaoh. Moses knew that God led the people of Israel out to walk into the promised land, not to be annihilated. He trusted that what God had called him to do, God would bring to fruition. He knew that God was with him, protecting, guiding, leading. And that's why he was willing to go into this crazy place of death. He knew that God was going to do something. He had no idea what God was going to do because he didn't tell them, hey, the sea is going to split and this is what's going to happen, everybody. Here's the strategic plan that God downloaded into my brain. No, he had no idea what God was about to do. Have you ever thought about that? He had no plan. God didn't say, here's the plan and everything you need to know. Moses had no idea what God was about to do except that God was going to do something when he had this conversation. And he also clearly was going before the Lord because the Lord was like, why are you crying to me? He was probably saying, God, look at these people. They're just not listening. I just gave this wonderful speech, this beautiful, powerful speech about what you're going to do, and they're still whining. And he said, why are you crying to me? Moses, just tell them to go forward. Just start moving. I'll do the rest. Man, that's confidence, but also confessional, because we can know that God's going to do something, but the people that we're supposed to be leading, our family, our friends, the people that, are, that, are in, that we're in charge of, <laughs> they might be whining about it, and we might be whining to God that, hey, I know what you're going to do, something, but he's like, stop crying and just go. It's time to just go. Move forward. And so they do, and that's when a remarkable, miraculous, wonderful thing happens. God does a miracle. Moses was confident in the Lord. And being confident in the Lord is letting go and letting him have control. When God said, Move forward, and Moses did, he was saying, I'm no longer in charge of these people. God, you're in charge. I can't control them. Clearly, the most passionate, amazing speech I've ever delivered to these people, and it did nothing. It didn't move them. It didn't move their needle at all. And he says, go forward. And Moses going forward is saying, I'm not in control. I'm confident that you're going to do something. I, I, I have no answers. Except the ones that you have. So he relinquishes control. Swindoll says it this way. <laughs> letting go and giving control works against human nature, doesn't it? We love control. We love to be able to have everything put together in our hands where we're in charge. Some of us are really big planners, and we have our planning books and our calendars out, and we're like, this is what I'm going to do. Step one, two, three, four, and 5, and if step 3 happens before step 2, I'm going to freak out. Come on, who's, who's like that? Right? I know there's some of you in the room. It's important that we understand that we don't have control, and that we release control over to Him. Faith is sitting in the drive, sitting in the car, letting God drive, and our head is out the window like a puppy. That dog has no choice but to just let the do- let the human drive, but he's enjoying the ride. May we be like that puppy. And just let God drive and stick our head out the window and wait for him to do something great. Because no matter where that wherever that human is driving that dog, that dog's having a blast. Because he knows he's, he's in safe hands. We need to be faith-filled believers. Stewart says it this way Moses may not have known how God would deliver the Israelites, but he was certain they would be delivered. Moses wanted people to walk in confidence and confession. Confidence in the Lord's ability and confession in their own inability. The fourth key is the key of obedience. Faith-filled leaders follow the path of obedience. Exodus fourteen six, and then Exodus 14, 21 through 25. The Lord says to Moses, lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watch the Lord in the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariots' wheels so that they would drive heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. So God tells Moses, go into this valley of death. And then God, when Moses gives him control and says, I'm, I'm done trying to do this thing, he says, you know, Moses, I just want you to lift your staff over the waters. I mean, we see this in... <laughs> this is such a weird thing, okay? To us, it's so normative because we've seen so many movies. We've seen so many things about Moses and his staff. But, I mean, here's a guy that's looking at the sea with millions of people around him, and God's like, just go like this. That's weird. Do you not think that's weird? I mean, what what is that going to (laughs) do? But he does it. He doesn't say, God, that's weird. I'm going to look like a weirdo if I just lift up my staff and spread my arms. He's like, okay, I have no idea. I have no clue what's happening, but he does it. And he does that movement with his staff, and God parts the waters. Now, the key thing that we need to understand is not only is the water parted, but the ground is dry. Have you ever gone to the bottom of a lake? Have you ever tried to drain a lake and then pull out the wet silt? It lasts forever. It's not dry on the ground. It's muddy. It's clunky. You get your hands stuck. You lift up the wet dirt of a lake. It's it's disgusting stuff. Fish poop and everything. But God dried the land so that they could put their carts through on dry land. So that the tires and the animals and their feet wouldn't get stuck. It was completely dry land. It's not just a miracle of the waters parting. It's a miracle of the zapping of the ground to make it dry. And we know that he allowed the water, to, the ground to start getting wet when Pharaoh's army went through because their wheels started getting clogged. God did a miraculous thing. And we see that Moses walked in obedience, even though it seemed weird and awkward. They, they, this wasn't something that happened regularly where people wave a staff and the waters separate. But he asked Moses, if you remember when we talked about the burning bush, he, Moses had a staff in his hand And he said, Moses, what's in your hand? And he said, my staff. And God began to do miraculous things with his staff in that moment. The gifts that Moses had, he released over to the Lord. The same will happen with you and me when we are obedient and we give our gifts over to the Lord. God will do miraculous things in and through you, even if it's as silly as a staff and waving your hands it doesn't matter how big or how small the gift is that God has given you. He will use it for his glory and do miraculous and wonderful things. And we don't have to sit there and make excuses. We can trust that God is going to use us. This was God's way also of saying, it's not about Moses. I have imbued this staff with power. I have given it the power that it needs to do that which is, I've called Moses to act out. And so it was God saying, this isn't about Moses, this is about me. Stuart, the wonderful Old Testament theologian, says, It is always implied, though only sometimes stated, that when Moses stretched out his hand, he did so with the staff of God in it. In this instance, the action provided, as it did so often in the plague stories, a visible motion to reassure him and those watching that the power of an invisible God was at work. And Moses gave glory to God. If you see, they sang a song of glory to God in the next chapter. When they got to the other side, they sang a wonderful worship song, giving God the glory. A faith-filled leader's obedience will point to the power of God and not to the power of self. One of the things that is so disappointing with so many Christian leaders in today's society and world is that they are constantly pointing to themselves. And they fall and they fail and it's broken and it's a mess and it's disgusting and Christians look like fools over and over and over again. If you guys were to look, I don't know if you've even studied this fact. I want to share with you something that has been absolutely asinine in our Christian society in the last couple of weeks. The Southern Baptist Convention had a, uh, this, this task force coming in to see all of the terrible things that were happening within this convention. There were over 200 pastors who were allowed to molest and rape and hurt women and children. They were covered up because they were powerful men hiding their powerful misdeeds. And it came to light a 288-page thing that describes all the disgusting things that happen with the largest Christian denomination in our world. Because men took control and didn't allow God and didn't trust God. That if we do something about this and it comes to light, they're like, well, we can't ruin God's witness. We have to cover it up. Children. Women. And the ethics committee they actually maligned the victims. When the victims came forward and said, this person has done something to me, they said, oh, this person's a liar just trying to destroy God's name. When we are in control, we mess everything up. And we end up hurting the name of Jesus more than we could ever fathom or imagine. It's time to walk in obedience. It's time to trust the Lord. It's time for faith-filled leaders and faith-filled believers to give God the glory and not man the glory. Because it's not about us. It's about Him. I could only read so many pages of that before I began to weep and I had to close it out and say, enough is enough. God is the one who needs the glory. The fifth key is the key of promises. Faith-filled leaders are confident the Lord will keep his promises. At the end of this miraculous thing, we see, but the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus, the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. God did it. God kept his promises. God said, I know you're going into a crazy situation that I led you into. Go there and trust that I will keep my promises. The scripture for the believer is filled with promises. But we often doubt them. We often don't recognize that he will fulfill that which he said he will fulfill. May we be people who trust the promises of God. When we read the promises of Scripture, why do we doubt? Why do we fear the enemy? It's probably because you and I, myself included, are not fully confident in what the Lord says he will do, that he will actually do it. I want to challenge each and every one of us to walk as faith-filled believers, trusting God's word, walking in obedience even when it looks foolish, giving God the glory, not trying to take it for ourselves, leading others to the face of Jesus, not to ourselves or anything that we could ever do. May we be people who seek the presence of God for our protection. And may we give the gifts that he's given us back to him so that we can be used in a mighty and powerful way in this world for the name and the glory and the honor of Jesus. Let us pray. Father, I thank you that you are bigger than any human mistake. Even this issue with the largest denomination in America You can turn it for good. And we pray that you will. Father, I pray that we will be people who are faith-filled. And that we will lead others to you and not to ourselves. Holy Spirit of the living God, fall fresh upon us. And give us the ability to walk as faith-filled believers. In your holy and precious name. Amen.